0: We have two great stories here. I was thinking, well, do I speak on Joseph?" And remember there was uh, Donnie Osmond was in uh, Joseph in the Technicolor dream code, I remember. And his story, and then I thought, well, do I want to speak on the gospel? but the, really the wisdom of the church putting these readings of the Old Testament, and the New Testament together, because you have the righteous man who was rejected who was, in the case, attempted to to kill him, but yet they couldn't. In the case of Joseph, he becomes king of Egypt. In the case of Jesus, he resurrects from the dead. So now, this passage of Matthew, uh, let's talk about what the church fathers tell us in the meaning, because the meaning could pass over us and we don't even realize it. What do the church fathers tell us? Right, The vineyard. What is the vineyard? The vineyard is the nation of Israel, because that's for to whom first God came. And the owner is God. So you have the vineyard is Israel, and the owner of the vineyard we just read about is God. Now, who are the tenants? These are the religious leaders of Israel in charge of the welfare of the nation. You know, this is one of the reasons we need the church, because if you gave this passage to 100 people, you'd probably get 90, 98 different interpretations. You need the church to be able to interpret the message of God for us. And that's what our church does. What I'm, I'm giving you is an interpretation of the church fathers for centuries. So basically, these tenants are the religious leaders of Israel in charge Of the vineyard, the nation of Israel. Now, who are the servants, the messengers, the messengers who are sent? They are the prophets sent by God with a message. And what happens? They are rejected. All right. So then finally, the the, the owner sends his son. That's clear. That is is Jesus. This is Jesus himself. So here in this vivid story, Jesus tells us the entire history and the doom of Israel. And for us too, if we don't listen. Now, what what we have here is it tells us a lot about God. First of all, this one parable tells us of God's trust in us. You know, we always say, Jesus, I trust in you. But do you realize how much Jesus trusts in you? He entrusted you with a spouse. He entrusted you with children. He entrusted you with a lot of things to be good steward over your vineyard. Your vineyard is your family. So anyway, this tells us a lot about God's trust in man, us, because the owner of the vineyard entrusted it to its tenants. He gave it to them as good stewards. He went away and left them with their task of taking care of the vineyard or the nation of Israel without hovering over them. So God trusts us. And it also tells us of God's patience with us. Thank goodness for God's patience. I mean, I struggle with impatience, but every time I do, I keep thinking, what if God was impatient with me? Woo, All the sins, it seemed like a broken record over the years that I've confessed. But God is patient. He did not come with a sudden vengeance when his messengers, his prophets were mistreated. No, God put up with us all of our sinning and just patiently waited for us to return like the prodigal father. I always call it the prodigal father because the prodigal means to lavish, to squander. So the prodigal son, the parable means he, he, he squandered his money. But you could call it the prodigal father because he squandered and lavished mercy upon the son. Now, this passage also tells of God's judgment. This is what we forget in our world today. In the end, the owner took the vineyard from the tenants and gave it to others. We have seen this in human history. Christ first came to the Jews, they rejected him. Then it spread through the the known world at that time, up into Europe. Then Europe gave it up because of this enlightenment and the French Revolution, and then God took it to America And then America had fostered for a while, flourished for a while. And all of a sudden, we're giving it up now. So God's taking it to Asia and Africa. Pretty soon it's going to be given to the whole world. That's when he'll return. But he judges us by saying, you're not taking care of what I've given you. I'm going to give it to someone else. God's sternest judgment is when he takes from us a task that he meant for us to do. And he has to take it away. That's the worst. Now, this passage also tells us a lot about ourselves. It tells us about we are God's most great creation, mankind. The vineyard was given everything had the hedge, the wine press, the tower. He said it was given everything. Mankind, we're given every tool. God not only gives us a task to do, but he gives us the means to do it. What's the greatest tool he gave us? The church. And yet we're rejecting it. All right, it tells us about our human freedom. The owner left the tenants to do the task the way they wanted to do it. God gives us a way to do live our life the way we want to live it. We have a choice. So he's a good manager. I I come from a business background, so I'm always equating some of this to, to business. If you want to look at it that way, he's a good manager, allocates a task and then entrusts the people to do it. But then he has to correct them when they don't. Now, it also tells us about humankind that sin is chosen we deliberately choose to sin that's the worst kind sin of weakness where you want to fight it but you give into it in the moment is not as bad that's why church teaching has always been sins of malice and unforgiveness because you choose deliberately choose to do them are worse than sins of weakness like, you didn't want to fall into a sin of impurity. You were planning on it, but all of a sudden, bam, you're hit with it. You tried to fight it, and then you fall. Actually, the sin that's calculated, planned out, and done deliberately is much worse. That's why sin of unforgiveness is worse. You know of the sinly, seven deadly sins? What are they again? You remember? Pride. Sloth, anger, envy, lust, greed, gluttony. You know what the least of those seven deadly sins is? The least is lust. That's surprising. Because usually with lust, you don't deliberately plan. Some may, but lust usually strikes when you're not expecting it and you fight it and you fight it and you give in. But when you deliberately calculate to revenge and hatred and unforgiveness and deliberately killing. Even if it's not the life of somebody, you deliberately plan to kill their reputation. You deliberately plan to kill their good name. You violated the sixth commandment of murder. And so deliberateness of human sin is dangerous. Sin is deliberate opposition to God. It is taking your own way over God's way. Don't want to do that. Now, it also, this passage tells us a lot about Jesus. How does it tell us a lot about Jesus? It tells tells of the claim of Jesus. What do I mean? Well, it shows us that the son of God, Jesus, is distinguishing himself from the rest of the prophets. They were servants. They were just prophets sent before him. But then he says, then finally I'll send my son. Way above the prophets, he was the son. And it tells us about the sacrifice that the son was willing to make. It makes it clear that Jesus knew that he was going to be killed. Just like the son going into the garden or the vineyard knew he was going to be killed. But he went there to sacrifice. He went willingly. That's what the son Jesus did. All right, so how does all this apply today? This is where I want to finish. Um, Basically, the message for us today is God has established his vineyard. What is the vineyard today? What's the new Israel? The church. That's the problem is we haven't taken care of our vineyard. We've let bad priests in. The church is not properly addressed These workers in the vineyard, when they have messed up, they've allowed in people. And by the way, the church isn't entirely to blame. I'm going to be doing a talk in a few months about the scandal and why there's no excuse for it. We never will ever be able to apologize enough. There's one thing that's lost in all this. Most 95% of abuse was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The cases now are minuscule compared to what they were then. And you know, back then, the church asked to handle, how to handle it, because it was not a pedophilia problem. It was a homosexual problem. It's called a phoebophobia, that they were still young, but not children. And they were told by psychologists that this is not a disorder. Put them back into ministry. The bishops listened to the secular psychologists. Now, does that excuse the church? No, but nobody seems to point this fact out, that the church bishops asked what to do. If they would have been told this is a disorder, it's homosexual disorder, you need to remove them from ministry. They would have done it, but they didn't. They were told that this is not a disorder. You keep them in and you reassign them. Not excusing the church, because they still had the ultimate authority, but they were misled. We let the vineyard be overgrown with weeds. We let the bad with the good. We let that happen. God put it into our hands. We didn't cultivate it. We didn't weed the garden. We need to do that, weed out the bad regarding the priest. So Christ pays us the compliment of entrusting us with his work. Let's take care of it. He not only gives us a job to do, but he puts the salvation of other souls in our hands as priests. Have we brought these souls to Christ? Well, many are not even going to church and the leaders are absent. I'm being told a lot of times you can't even find the priest of the parish now maybe that's because he is out doing ministry but it begs the question you know 6 out of 10 don't even go to church half the youth have left and 4 out of 5 that did leave left before they were 23 years old and then only 30% of catholics believe in the real presence of the eucharist our garden is full of weeds we've got to clean it up. Christ started our church, but the Catholic faith, our moral compass, is now becoming insignificant. It's never insignificant. We're treating it like it's insignificant. You know, the reading says it will be taken away from you and given to a nation that bears fruit. Right now, we're losing it in America, and it's growing in Asia and Africa. God may be taking it away from us. It was in Israel, he took it away from them. It went to Europe, he took it away from them. It went to America, he's now maybe taking it away from us because we're not taking care of the garden. I mean, the Western world, God bless the Irish. The Irish, I have a newfound love for the Ireland and the people of Ireland, but even the greatness of Ireland, they were the first nation to publicly vote in by the people, both abortion and gay marriage. And now they're suffering. They're, they're realizing what life is like without God. When they willingly turn away from God, it's not God's punishment. The punishment is when you turn away from God, you inflict it upon yourself. The Western world is suffering and God may be taking it away from us. Let's not let that happen. Look at England. Oh my, you know, England, the dowry of the church it Mary's dowry, what's going on in England in Canada? I mean, we complain about the United States, but oh my, Canada and England I mean, did you hear about that story that's breaking all over the news in England? now in England, bad enough in the United States that we have um, crimes that are just innocent, like like the uh, prolifers that were invaded their homes by SWAT teams. but in England now, the Parliament declined to protect a law that was proposed to protect people praying. And so they had a video of a woman who was doing nothing. She was across the street from an abortion clinic, just standing there saying nothing, no sign. And they have a video of the police coming up to her and they said, what are you doing? And she says, I'm remaining here silently And they literally asked her, it's on video. I'm just not making this up. It's on video. They said, are you praying? They're now calling it a thought crime. Bad enough that we have these hate crimes that are, are Christian based trying to say because we don't believe in the secular definition of marriage that we're hate. So they have these hate crimes. That's bad enough. But now they're coming up with thought crimes. These people in England can't even stand there and pray. So the police officer asked her, are you praying? And she says, yes. And he says, you are under arrest. What in the world is happening? You're under arrest for praying? She was doing nothing. Now, on defense of the other side, they said, well, this was a defined sensor zone, uh, what we would call safe space or some crazy thing like that. Well, what, what about the right to pray? The right to speak? That's just been trumped. That's just been taken over. <clears throat> so, if that's how we're handling it, God is going to take it away from us. If that's how we are treating God in the public square, it will be taken. This garden, this vineyard will be taken away from us. And it will be given to places like Africa. God bless the underground in Asia. Vietnamese, they're on fire with the faith. In Africa, they walk three hours and want to listen to a three-hour homily. That's where God's taking it now. That's where the faith is growing. God bless them. And so let us not let it be taken away. St. Faustina told several places in her diary to pray for your country, that God blesses your nation. Let me tell you, Sister Faustina didn't write about borderless European unions. St. Faustina wrote about praying for the nation and the sovereignty of her borders of Poland. And I'm going to have Brother John read Diary 286, where St. Faustina says three times the importance of praying for your country. Again, it's not borderless. She said the nation of Poland. And ironically, at that time, Poland was wiped off the map. And God protected it. Let us not let our nation be wiped off the map because of our refusal to acknowledge God. That is the message, I believe, of today's gospel, to be able to support God, to be able to pray. And these things that are happening in the Western world are in need of prayer. And so let us be good tenants in the vineyard. Let us take care of our vineyard, pull the weeds, till the soil, plant the produce, so that it will bear fruit. Then God will let us continue to be the caretakers of the garden. God will allow us to continue. But if we don't, the consequences will be deadly. God will take it all away from us, not because he's punishing us. He takes it all away from us because we didn't take care of it. Let us not fall into that trap. Pray for your country, no matter where you are. South Africa, Australia, England, Canada, the United States. Pray for your country. Pray especially for religious freedom. As I've been harping all along, the three most important things when we vote. Dignity of human life, the sanctity of marriage between man and a woman, and the preservation of religious liberty. We're facing a crisis, and the first one happened years ago. Crisis in the second one happened about a decade ago. And now we're facing a crisis in the third one, the stripping of our religious freedoms. Let us pray, and let us ask God that we could be good stewards.
1: Are you a Marian Helper?